Hey, this is Brian Golden, lead pastor of Centerpoint Church, and I just want to welcome you to our podcast. I also really want to thank you for taking the time to listen. And I want to let you know that now you can watch these messages as well, anytime and anywhere. And the easiest way to do that is on the Centerpoint Church app. In addition to that, the Centerpoint app is also the easiest way to stay connected with what's happening at Centerpoint. So go to your favorite app store, search Centerpoint Church Florida, and you'll find it right there. Most importantly, I really want to say if you're a longtime follower of Jesus, or maybe you're just investigating who Jesus is, I really hope this message encourages you to take your next step in your journey of faith or in your journey of investigating faith. Thanks again for listening. So in this series that we've been in now for five weeks, now this is the fifth week, we're talking all about what does it look like when you're walking through experiences that are just difficult. And the reality is you didn't invite them in most cases. Sometimes we attribute to some of our own dysfunction, but there's a lot of things that we don't. It's a job loss that's unexpected. It's a phone call that we weren't anticipating. It's an apology that we're never going to get. It's tension with our adult kids. It is a phone call that you get at 2 a.m. It's maybe in a season of singleness and you don't really want to be single. And what we talked about in this series is for all of us, this regardless of what you believe, like you want it to go away. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, you don't pray for that, but you're hoping that if you're a follower of Jesus, that's maybe what you're praying. Like, hey, God, get me out of this. But what do you do when you're not coming out of it? Like you've already had to walk through it. You're already on the other side of it or you're right in the middle of it right now. How do you maintain hope when things are just dark and you don't know how this is going to end? Because that's just life. That is just reality. And here's what I want to talk about as we end this series. There's about three different ways I could go. And I just preach what I feel because I feel like that's the Holy Spirit and that's going to resonate with people. So this is what I feel today in terms of, I think, how this plane needs to be landed. But the only option that you have is ultimately to change your perspective around what you're walking through. So, like, have you ever been to um, the doctor to get an eye exam? I'm thinking pretty much that's an all-skate most of us have. I got one hand here, so there's one person in this room. Um, but you go and they have to dilate your eyes, right? Which is there anything more uncomfortable in the world than that? So your pupils, you know, dilate, they get bigger, which is a natural thing. Like if you go into a cave, that's actually what happens. So you can try to absorb more light, but it, it's done involuntarily. So they get done and you're staring up at the fluorescent light at Walmart and it is horrific, like what your eyes feel in that moment. And then if you, like on the other side of it, like you can see fairly well, long distance. I mean, they let you drive generally. They give you those granny glasses that you wear. Um, and I don't know what happens with, did they just decide at some point, like, I'm just going to wear these all the time, like after they leave? I don't know. Um, but anyway, so they give you these glasses that you can drive home and you can see at a distance, but you cannot see up close at all. Like if you pull out your phone, it is almost impossible to see your phone in that moment. And here's the thing, man, cats live their entire life like that. And I'm a little bit disturbed that this is my third cat reference in this series um, where my life is heading right now. But cats are six times more sensitive to light than human beings are. And their eyes, like their, their pupils get about three times as wide as ours, ours. So they have the ability to let in more light. What, what happens, they have this thing behind their retina that where the light bounces back and they can absorb three times as much light or two times as much light when they get in a really, into a really dark place. And so my point in all this is this, is they don't have any more light than anybody else has, but they are better able to absorb the light that is available to them that we're not able to. 
And so my, my whole point is this, as disturbed as I am that I'm making another cat reference, my whole point is this, because it is relevant, is that if you are in a dark place right now, if you're walking through some stuff, you don't know how it's going to end, you would never choose this, the answer for you is you need more light when things are dark. And the reality is that light is available to you. Like we're, we're prone to make a lot of bad assumptions when things get hard, that God's absent, that God's silent, that God somehow has just checked out on us. But the reality is God's promise I am going to walk through this with you. And there is light that's available when it's dark, but you have to be able to see differently and change your perspective in order to absorb it and get through whatever I've called you to walk through. In fact, Jesus said it this way, I am the light of the world. And we love to talk about that verse at Christmas, but I think the larger context and the more weightier context is, hey, when things are dark and it's difficult and you would never choose to walk through this, I am the light that you need in that darkness to make it through and onto the other side. And so you need to see differently. You need to access it. But what you need to know in the midst of your darkness is the light that I'm offering, it is available to you if you were able to see it. I'll never forget, I don't want to tell my stories too much, but it's just what I have to work on, and, and you have your story, but I'll never forget the Saturday morning um, when I was um, almost a junior in high school. School was about to start in about two weeks, and um, I was at home the night before my brother and I had gotten together for the Bucks game. It was a preseason game, but like we're diehards, and they're playing the Bengals, and that, that should be an easy out, easy win generally. Um, but we were, we were terrible, as we have been for the last decade, but we were really terrible then. Like, Trent Dilfer was our quarterback. Am I talking to anybody um, who's listening right now, throwing 30 interceptions a year? Um, so we were really bad. We were wearing creamsicle uniforms. Any, anybody um, know what I'm talking about? So uh, we were watching it, and it was just like a cool night. He had just had his little daughter, Kimberly. She's about six months old. She was screaming um, the whole night, and I'm like a 10th grader, so you're like, yeah, just take care of this kid. Like, what's your problem? Because um, you have no idea. But we, we, just, we, we hung out, and the next morning I was uh, watching TV, and um, some guy came rolling up into our lawn. I answered the door, and I knew this guy because he worked for this company that my brother owned. And he just, like, had this flush, like, looking like a ghost. Something was wrong. I'm like, why is your truck seven feet from our door, number one? But you could just tell something was up, and he quickly rushes in. I didn't invite him in, and you could just tell, like, something is really off, and he starts to try to, with very mumbled language and kind of incoherent, try to describe what was going on, that something really horrific had happened uh, with my brother. And I'll never, like, that day was, like, simultaneously a blur, and I remember every detail. I don't know if that makes any sense, but I remember my mom trying to call my dad, and she was starting to verge on hysterical, so I had to dial the numbers for her. And, and then we started to walk through the rest of that Saturday, praying and clinging to hope that something was going to happen, there was going to be a miracle, and, and finally the, the cold reality that a miracle was not going to happen, that this is not going to end well, and and then in January, we had another um, similar type of experience when we got a call at 2 a.m. that Nicole's talked about in this series. And, and like, nothing good happens at 2 a.m. ever. And so we get that call, and I'm trying to decipher on the other end of the line what's happened as we find out that Nicole's brother has um, taken his own life. And um, in both of those circumstances, like, we knew that there would be a lot of really terrible days to come. Like, it just doesn't come and go in a moment. But the immediate response is just trying to make it through Saturday. Just trying to make it through that Saturday. Just trying to make it through and get to the other side of that day. And I say all that to say for all of us, 
like at some level we're there where you're just trying to make it through Saturday. And I don't mean like physically necessarily for you. You're like, well, I love Saturday. Netflix binge. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm just, it's a metaphor. Um, But like you're trying to make it through Saturday. But here's the thing, like at a global universal sense, we're all trying to make it through Saturday. Like that, that's the story of Christianity and even the story of Easter. Like think back to Easter where Jesus comes onto planet Earth. He lives a perfect life. He does what he said he was going to do by dying on the cross. But on Saturday, Easter weekend, every shred of hope had been lost. Everybody's heart was absolutely ripped out. Nobody had any hope for the future. Everybody was in a dark place wondering if they were going to be able to make it through Saturday because all of the hope that they were clinging to had never now been ushered out because of the death of Jesus on Friday. And there they are on Saturday wondering the way forward. And then Jesus on Sunday, you know the story, decides I'm done with death. And he rolls back the stone of the tomb and light starts to peer into what was dark and what was death. And out of that darkness where the light shines, Jesus' physical body walks out because he decided this is the moment. And I'm putting a deposit down and eventually I'm going to come back and collect in full. And so death, you better get ready. And hell, you better get ready. And illness, you better get ready. And dysfunction, you better get ready. And divorce, you better get ready. And mental illness, you better get ready because there's going to be a day where I'm coming back as the king to sit on my throne to make everything right. And you just need to know that Sunday isn't just relegated to Easter weekend. Humanity is in Saturday waiting for Sunday, but Sunday is coming and every wrong is going to be made right and death is going to be trampled under the feet of Jesus. But the reality is we're all in Saturday. And can I just say this? Whatever you're walking through right now, your pain is your pain, and pain is real, and you don't need to, you don't need to compare your pain to anybody else. I think one of the biggest injustices that we can do is, is minimize somebody else's pain, like a teenager walking through something, like what they're going through right now, that pain is real, and until you know something else, that's the only pain that you know, and that pain is difficult to walk through, and I think, and I know I talk about this a lot, I want to talk about it one more time to just really disciple and lead our church because the, the big C capital church, I think we've, we've not done well at this at times, is we just need to be willing to enter into people's pain where they are and walk with them through it all the way to the other side and not get uncomfortable because you're slapping verses on them, not with the sole purpose of trying to get them to a place of health, but because you're uncomfortable with their suffering and what they're walking through. And yet we've been called as followers of Jesus. I want you to weep with people who weep. I want you to mourn with people who mourn. And you don't need to try to create some kind of false, like you're going to be okay just because you're uncomfortable with what they're going through. Let them mourn and mourn with them and be the hands of feet of Jesus to them and let's stop avoiding funerals and avoiding difficult rooms and avoiding being in those places where the grief is so thick because that's literally what the church has been called to do and we need to get comfortable with it and just stand there and not say anything but physically be present to say I love you I don't know how long this is going to take but I'm here for you I'll never forget my dad. This is just a random story, but I, this, I use um, messages as part therapy as well. But my dad, after the loss of um, his son, he, the, I'm not advocating this is a good idea, but um, he lost his son on Saturday, and that next Sunday he was preaching. And he started a series on heaven, 
And literally four weeks into the series, um, this guy came up to him that, that he knew pretty well, had known for quite a few years, and he's like, hey, I think you, you need to start moving on now. From my, my son that I lost four weeks ago? Are you serious? Because sometimes it's so difficult to just to enter into other people's pain. We'd rather them just get over it. And literally, if that guy showed up today, and I want to be clear, I'm not advocating this. I'm not even saying that I would do this. I'm just saying I would punch that guy if I saw him. I would slap that guy and run is what I'm really like. I would slap that guy and run. But, but the reality is like we're all in Saturday, meaning there's a space between the promise of what's to come and the fulfillment of that promise. Because the promise is that one day you're going to get a new body, but maybe right now you're living with a disease that there's no cure for. That's the right now. That one day there's the promise that all the tears are going to be wiped away, but you're living in a reality right now where maybe it's a season where sometimes you're crying yourself to sleep. Or it's, it's the promise that one day your son is going to see his father, but the reality of what you're living in today is you've got to be mom and dad. Because there's a gap between the promise and the fulfillment of that promise, and everybody is living in Saturday waiting for Sunday. And here's the thing, this is what I want to talk about for a few minutes, is our only way forward is to see differently, and you need the light that only comes from Jesus to be able to do that. And so you literally need to lean into what I'm going to talk about, which is the groan that pain creates. And to steal a line from Levi Lusco, you need to get on your tiptoes to see eternity and get to the edge of eternity and all that awaits those who place their faith and trust in Jesus. Here's how Paul says it. Paul's a dude who went through some stuff, by the way, um, the least of which was getting bit by a snake. Guy was stoned with rocks I'm talking about. He was shipwrecked. He, was, he, he lost his life at, at the end because he was persecuted. And he says this in Romans 8, writing to a Roman culture under Nero. I consider that my present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed in us when Sunday gets here. For the creation was subject, subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope. Adam and Eve, sin enters the world, it breaks apart everything. And then verse 21, the creation itself will be liberated in its bondage to decay, brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God, meaning one day things are gonna be made right in verse 22. And we know that the whole creation, the entirety of all creation has been, what's the word, both campuses? Has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to right now. And not only so, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit. For us, those who place their faith in Jesus and who Jesus is, they groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. You ever thought about how crazy, I'm sure you have, like, technology has changed over the last, like, so many years. So, like, I'm not, I'm not an old guy, I don't think. And when I was in college, I, like, it, like, it was a totally different universe. So, if we wanted to hand in a paper to the professor, we did it on a floppy disk. Anybody know? Oh, wow, on the second row um, at North Campus. On a flo- and, and here's the thing, the floppy, it wasn't actually floppy, like it was, it was not a floppy, it was a hard disk. And the only thing you could cram on there was one word document. 
So you get one Word document, you hand it in, you had to erase it, you get another Word document on there. But like that's, that's how we handed stuff in. And then after a while, like you could burn stuff on CDs. Um, you have to help me out because we have a long, young crowd at both campuses. I need, so I need to know if you have a gray hair or two um, to help me out right now. But we would do um, these, these CD-ROMs, and you could, you could burn CDs, and you could hand in your reports and all that stuff. And then after a while, they got more sophisticated. So you had the zip drive for a little while, and then you had the, the thumb drive. And now you can just airdrop it, right? You just drop it in the air, and it's floating around, and it's going to get there somehow. Um, but that's just, and you're like, well, why, why, didn't you just, why didn't you just email it to your professor? There was no internet. There was, there, there was no way to email. Email wasn't a thing. Like, there was no internet. You had to do it this way. But like, things have progressively advanced. And then video, like entertainment was totally different. So if you wanted to play a video game, um, you could not do it with somebody in Hong Kong. Like, they had to physically be right beside you right here. Um, and you could only be four feet away from the game system because that's how far the cord went, right? Like, you were just, right, this is far, there's a TV, this is me. And there's the up, down, right, left, little button over here. And you would put in these, these really crazy things that some of you have never seen called a cartridge. <laughs> cartridge, you see me? South Campus. Um, and so you'd get them in there and you had to like jam them in there sometimes and there's stuff that went wrong. And if you're playing Super Mario's, it's you're going cross the thing, don't get mushroom, fall into the hole, whatever. And you just do the same thing over and over again. Um, and it was amazing. You know what I'm talking about? Like it was absolutely incredible. But then every once in a while when you're, when you're playing it four feet away from the television, um, there was, they would start to just like, I don't know, there'd be like fuzz or it would glitch or whatever. And when it started to glitch, what was the universal thing that everybody did who was playing Super Mario Brothers from a cartridge? How did you fix the glitch? Yeah. Like you, you blew it out and that was going to fix everything. And then if you, had, if you were in a car and you had a CD and there was these crazy things called CD changers, when your CD didn't work, you took it out. What would you do with the CD? Well, you wipe the CD off, and if you did it hard enough, it would fix the CD, and everything would be great. But, but constantly, that's how you would, you would fix it by breathing into it and getting out whatever to try to fix the glitch, and a lot of times it worked. So why am I telling you this? Um, here's my point. What, what Paul is actually saying is there's a glitch in all of the creation, and one day he's coming back to blow it out, to fix the glitch, and make everything right that has been made wrong. And that's not just talking about the events of your life. That's not just talking about the divorce. That's not just talking about the job loss. That's not just talking about the thing that you walk through with your kids. That's not just talking about, you know, whatever else here has, has gone bad over this last season of your life. That's literally talking about all of creation, that literally tsunamis and earthquakes and all that isn't right is groaning, going, this is not how it was supposed to be. We were made in perfection, not just us as human beings, but literally the creation itself. And now everything is jacked up. There's a glitch in all of it. And we need somebody to come back. And there needs to be an expiration date on the pain and on the dysfunction and on an earth that literally goes, I wasn't made to function like this. The mountains going, I wasn't made to do life like this. All of this is not what it should be. But there is a king who's coming back. <sighs> 
to blow on the whole thing, to remove the glitch and move us back to a place where not only our bodies, but the creation itself with a new heaven and a new earth is made right and everything is subjected, not to sin, but universal flourishing and wholeness and perfection and life with Jesus. And, and we'll be home. And, and listen, can I, can I just say this? Because we have so many jacked up views of this idea of eternity or heaven where I think it actually creates fear in us. And I, I was telling Nineem, I think I may come back, and I've always resisted doing series on end times in heaven because it can get weird, and I think there's just this morbid curiosity with certain things sometimes that have nothing to do with reality and everyday life. But I think I need to do a series on heaven at some point because, like, There's so much misunderstanding that literally creates fear. And I'm telling you, when you understand what is ahead for those who've placed their faith and trust in Christ, it breeds in you a confidence and an expectation and a fearlessness that there is more than this. It's not some sitting on a cloud. It's not some arbitrary, ethereal, like, streets of gold. That does not excite me whatsoever. I don't even think aesthetically that's going to look very good. But that is not the primary teaching on heaven. It is God's coming back, and he's creating, listen to me, a new heaven and a new earth, meaning what God designed from the beginning was a perfect environment in the Garden of Eden that looks a lot like what you're a part of right now, except this is infested with sin and disease and dysfunction, but one day it's going to be a new heaven. It's going to be a new earth, which means it's going to be the perfect garden of Eden and you doing life without any of the things that you hate about life. It's the perfect day at the beach times a zillion infinity. It's never going to end. And when you understand that we have eternity waiting for us and it's going to be perfect, there is a fearlessness and confidence to that. Even when things are dark, to be rooted to the reality that this does have an expiration date and the glitch will be gone and God will restore all things and it's going to be amazing. And, And you know, the ultimate hope in that is the fact that we're going to be in this perfect environment but we're going to be with Jesus. I love it, the very last moments of Jesus' life, he's on the cross and and he's next to the thief, right? And they have this interaction where He begins to be curious about the fact that I've watched you and I can tell in this moment that you are exactly who you said you were. And they have this interaction back and forth and Jesus says to the thief on the cross with his kind of statement of faith and belief in who Jesus was, Jesus looks at him and and says, today you're going to be with me. And this is Amazon Prime on steroids, not like next day, in a few hours You're going to breathe your last breath, and there I am. And you're going to be in perfection, and you're going to be with me. And the reason that Jesus highlighted the fact that this guy's going to be with Jesus is because whether you realize it or not, you were created for Jesus, and your soul longs for Jesus. And it's going to be a perfect environment. But the thing that our souls and our hearts long for is what we were created for in the Garden of Eden, which is this perfection where we have a relationship with Jesus, and everything is going to be made right for all of eternity. And literally, our hearts and our souls groan to go back to that place. In fact, the literal meaning of groaning or to groan means to sigh with anxious yearning. It's a heavy-hearted moan. 
The literally, whether it's your physical Saturday that you're walking through right now, you're suffering, or whether it's all of creation, the soundtrack of Saturday is groaning. And come on, isn't it true that there are some things that you walk through and the only thing you can do is groan? You see certain things across the world. You see systemic um, racism. You see somebody gunned down by something. You see another story that pops up on your news feed that you can't, literally you can't really even comprehend it. And there's, there's just a... There's just a groaning. There's not even any words. Or it's personal when you've gotten the call or you've walked through something and and you just don't even know what to say, but there's this thing that rises up in the pit of your stomach. Like, there's just this groan. I think even now when I'm watching a a game, and it's not just during those experiences, but I shared so much of that with my brother where I I literally in that moment, 20-some-odd years later, I'll just just feel this groan inside of me. Like, man, I wish I was here. I think about all that I've missed with him, and the only thing I can do is groan. You know, I think about my mom, and and again, these are just my stories. You have your own, but she's in late-term Alzheimer's, and she's still with us physically, but mentally she's not with us anymore. And and I think about the relationship she had with my kids and the season we're in. We've got three little kids, and um, man, I I know what would, I I look out into the backyard, and I have memories of her playing with them or her climbing into Brooke's bed for an hour and delaying her bedtime because she just wanted to spend time in there with her. And I think about the fact that that's never going to happen again. And the only thing I can do is just groan inwardly. And it's not even just the event or the circumstance, but literally just life in general. It's not just tragedy. Like you, you'll go through seasons where what is the purpose of this? What is the purpose of my life? Why am I here? Why is this happening like this? Or, or you'll get to this place where you know something's wrong and you get the promotion. You get to the benchmark you wanted. You get into the new relationship. You buy or purchase or lease whatever. And then all of a sudden on the other side of that, the immediate intoxication kind of wears off. And it feels like almost like your happiness moved. And you're like, there I go again. Like this thing that I feel is back, this groan inside of me is back. And what I want to tell you is that groan, that feeling, that longing, it is universal. And in fact, listen to me for a second. To acknowledge the groan is to acknowledge God. And here's what's really interesting. I think the whole issue of pain and suffering, like it's a problem for everybody. Like Christians sort of try to explain how could a good guy allow pain and suffering. I think there's an answer to that, but it's a complex answer. And so it's a problem. But I think for the atheists, and we have a lot of atheists who are listening and tuning in, and if you're genuinely searching, man, I have so much respect for you. But I think it's a greater problem for atheism. Because we, there's not really an explanation for the groan, where that groan comes from. In fact, you look at things in the world and you groan over what's happening across the world. And yet that culture says this is morally acceptable because maybe your argument is, well, I think that thing that we feel about right and wrong, it just has to do with the cultural environment that I'm brought up in. But you know intellectually that's not true because there's other things that you look at across the world. And even if that culture says morally it's okay, there's some kind of standard in you that goes, there is some kind of higher culture that says napalming babies or genocide is not okay. And you've got to figure out where did that come from? How do you have that acknowledgement of what's good or what's bad or the fact that what you're walking through right now shouldn't be this way? Who says it shouldn't be this way? Why do you feel that groan? Why is there this angst for more? And the reason from the scripture is God placed that groan in you that this is not all there is. It should be different and one day you need to go back home in fact I would say it this way 
The groaning is for God, and it's from God. Haggai, it's really Haggai, but some of you grew up with Haggai, so I'm just going to go with that. Describes Jesus as this, the desire of all the nations. That, that what we want and what we need is Jesus and the perfect environment that he created for us to be in relationship with him. And that's what the groan signifies. It's for God. But the thing that we do most of the time is we misdiagnose the groan. Like, it's the same thing that people do when they're dehydrated. It's a thing where a lot of times you get dehydrated and you actually start eating because you think your issue is hunger. You feel hunger pains, but it's really you're dehydrated. And so you misdiagnose what's actually going on. I don't need, like, another meal. I, like, I need some water. I'm dehydrated. And in most of the cases, we misdiagnose the groan that we feel sometimes day to day, week to week, month to month, and we start to try to fill it with things that cannot ultimately satisfy us. Like, for some of us, it's actually the epicenter of your greatest regret because you felt some things, and then you ran after another relationship, or maybe if there's just more sex, or maybe if I achieved my way a couple uh, rungs higher in this corporate environment, or maybe I, or maybe I, or maybe I, and you chased after all of these things, whether it was education, relationship, more, I need to buy it, and you only ended up kind of right back where you were before because the groan was misdiagnosed, and you were trying to fill it with things that are never going to be able to satisfy it because you were created to live in the garden of Eden with Jesus and your soul is longing to go back to that place and no job and no sex is going to be good enough to fill it. In, in fact, really, have you ever walked out in a department store and the, the thing starts to go off on the clothes? Thanks, babe. I got between two campuses, I have my, I have my wife talking back, which is great. But you walk out with the thing on you by accident. I mean, maybe some of you by, on purpose, because um, I know our crowd, um, but it's a safe place. But you walk out with that thing, or they forget to take it off, and what does it start to do? Somebody talk back to me, please. What does the little thing on your clothes start to do? Yeah, it starts to buzz. Because it's a built-in mechanism that as soon as you start to walk out of the store, it's this identifier, hey, this is not supposed to be here. It's really a mechanism to lead the clothes back to where the clothes should be, which is not outside of the store if you haven't paid for them. And so it's this built-in mechanism, and it's really similar to our relationship with God, where literally the groaning is a built-in mechanism to lead us back home. And every time we feel it, every time we acknowledge it, it really is acknowledging the fact that it was for God. It's from God. It is to lead us back home. And there's nothing on this side of planet Earth that is going to be satisfied satisfying what we feel inside of us. What C.S. Lewis says when he said, if I find in me a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That literally God put in you the hope that there's more than this so that you would search for him. The most unloving thing that God could do would be to remove the groan so that you get satisfied without him. But the hope is what Isaiah said is there's going to come a day where we're going to arrive home and the groaning is going to be silenced. And the groaning is going to be swallowed up and the groaning is going to be gone. And Isaiah says it this way. I love this. He's going to swallow up death forever. 
and the sovereign Lord is going to wipe away the tears from all the faces. And he will remove his people's disgrace from all of the earth. And then I love this. The Lord has spoken. Well, how do I know? And Jesus is like, because I said so. And the reason that holds weight is because I came to planet earth and did what had been prophesied for thousands of years. I lived a perfect life. I walked toward a cross willingly. I was crucified on that cross. And I told you in advance I was doing it in order to cancel the debt of the entire world. Then when I walked out of a grave alive, it was validation that that check did not bounce. I did exactly what I said I was going to do. I spoke it so it happened. And I walked out as a resurrected king. Same thing I did when I spoke sight into blind people. It's the same thing I did when I spoke life into dead bodies. And so he says to all of us, I said this is going to happen. And so one day I'm coming back as the king of kings. And one day I'm going to swallow up death, death forever. And one day the sovereign Lord is going to wipe away all the tears from all the faces. I'm going to rob the graves. I'm going to remove shame and disgrace from all of the earth. I'm going to trample it under my feet. I'm going to make every injustice untrue. And you are going to be with Jesus in perfection forever. Well, how do I know? Because I said so. And I'm a resurrected king. And there was a resurrection on Easter weekend. But there's another resurrection coming. There's another Sunday that's coming. And I'm going to do everything that I said that I was going to do. And death will be swallowed up forever. But the question is this. Like, what do you do until then? Like, what do you do until then? You have to lean in to the groan rather than trying to just silence the groan or self-medicate the groan. And then you need to quote Levi Lusco, to get on your tiptoes at the edge of eternity to know this is not all there is. I love what Paul says in Romans 8, 19, for the creation waits in eager expectation. Literally means to stretch the head. It's what my boys do in the backseat of the car when they're looking for excavators and random superheroes that are walking around town and police cars. Like It's hilarious to watch them. They're constantly trying to see over stuff, crane their neck, um, stretch their head. And literally what Paul's saying is that is literally how creation was designed. It's how the world was designed to live on its tiptoes in eager expectation that there is more than this. I love what J.B. Phillips says. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. And literally, you can either fight the groaning or you can foster it. You can drown it out or you can deepen it. You can try to binge it away when you feel it. You can try to white noise it away when you feel it. You can try to self-medicate with another relationship. You can click on something. You can just pursue something else that maybe is going to distract you for a little while. Like you have the option when you feel the groan of whether you're going to misdiagnose it and whether you are going to just back away from it or whether you're going to lean into it and literally deepen it to go, this is from God and it's for God. And so I'm going to lean into the groan and get on the edge to see a eternity to know that there is something beyond right now. And I'm telling you, when you live your life with that kind of anticipation, it is a game changer and everything begins to change. Even when your circumstances don't. When you lean in to begin to live that way, leaning in and getting on your tiptoes to see eternity, there's four things that happen. And I'm going to end with this is your perspective completely changes. Like when you get up on your tiptoes, you see over stuff. You see beyond stuff. You don't see just your immediate and what is happening in your immediate. In fact, 
you're able to better assess and judge and evaluate the weight of things around you. In fact, this is what Paul means when he says this. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing. Just real quick, can we just, this is loss, this is divorce, this is hurt, this is death. And your immediate response is, Paul, that's unbelievably insensitive unless you know something that I don't know. And Paul's like, all of that is real, but I'm telling you, there's going to be a day when you get on the other side of what you see in front of you, on the other side of planet Earth, when you are in eternity with Jesus. And all of that stuff was real, and the pain was real, and the hurt was real. But this is going to be so legit, it's not even going to be worth comparing. And he says, it's not worth comparing with the glory, or literally over and over again in the New Testament, the weight of glory that will be revealed in us. The literally anticipation and getting on your tiptoes to see beyond where you are at right now, it does something in you where you start to better see the weight of glory. Now, here's the thing about um, any kind of weight. Weight has everything to do with gravity, right? Okay, thank you. You guys are just killing it, just knocking it out of the park. Weight has everything to do with gravity, and, and gravity has everything to do with where you stand. And you know this, that gravity attracts objects together. And so depending on where you're at, the greater the mass of an object, the stronger the force of gravity. Anybody with me still at either campus? And so if you are on Earth and you've got a 100-pound weight and you were suddenly to go to the moon and you pack that weight with you, why you would need it on the moon, I don't know, but you pack that weight with you and get, you get on the moon, the, the size of that or the weight of that, I should say, would be about this on the moon. What's 100 pounds on Earth where you're standing on earth is about, this is 10 pounds, 16 pounds. Um, I had to preach two messages, so we're just going with 10, but it's close enough. On the moon, it's going to be about 16 pounds because where you stand affects everything. Where you stand because of the mass of the objects has everything to do with the weight that you feel, with the perspective, with, with, with how it seems. And so literally what Paul's saying is, my life was hard, man. My life was heavy. I went through a lot of stuff, but here's what I'm telling you, that if you stand on your circumstances and what you see in the media and what's going on and trying to answer all of the questions, you will get weighted down to the point where you have no hope of moving forward. But if you are willing to stand on the promises that there is more, that this is not all there is, if you would get on your tiptoes to know that eternity is way and the groan is for God, all of the sudden the weight of your trial will start to get weaker and the pull of what you've been through starts to get weaker and the weight of glory starts to get stronger because you realize I'm standing on the promises that God is going to redeem everything and I'm going to be with him. And so I'm going to stand on that in the middle of my darkness even when I have all of these unanswered questions and I don't know what's going to happen because when you get under the weight of glory and what's ahead, it changes changes your perspective. And even when the circumstances don't change, there is a confidence about what is ahead. When you apply the way to glory, it puts everything in perspective. They're like, yeah, I might be without them for 15 years or 20 years. But in the scope of eternity, it's just a minute. The focus is always the future and not the past. Like there's still moments and you have your own stories where you feel these same emotions, but 
I have this pit, this thing come up in my stomach when I think about that day or those several days now that I've walked through that are, that are marked for the rest of your life. That date, that time, that incident, and you just, you just feel it. But I'm telling you, as I've, I've learned to live more on my tiptoes looking for eternity and understanding where this groan is coming from, there, there literally is times where I cannot contain my excitement, not because of that day, but because of that day where everything is going to be made right, and I'm going to be hanging out with my brother again, and it's going to be forever this time, and sin is not going to get in the way of that, and my mom's going to be healthy and whole and mentally there, and mental illness is going to be gone, and our family is going to be perfect and right, and literally, I am closer to that than I was yesterday. And my focus is on the future and not the past because my perspective is eternity and there is more ahead. And this is not all there is. The second thing, and I'm going to go quick and we're going to be done, but we gain traction over temptation. When you, when you lean in and when you get on your tiptoes, all of a sudden you have power over temptation that you didn't have otherwise. And listen, for a lot of us, we're living in this space because we live as if this is all there is, that we're not on our toes, we're on our heels. Like you ever watch a boxer? They're never on their heels. They're always on their toes. They're always prancing around because they know it's harder to knock them over if they're on their toes. They're anticipating that right hook. Like, you're not going to get me. And here's the reality. We don't want to give the enemy more power than he deserves because the God who is in you is greater than anything outside that comes against you. But the reality is you still have an enemy and he cannot take your life. But what he wants to do is sabotage your life and cause your life to be ineffective. And he knows you. He knows where you're vulnerable. And so he's going to get you with achievement. He's going to get you with relationship. He's going to get you with sex. He's going to get you with another shiny object. He's going to get you to go after something that's going to cause you to trade your soul. And what he wants to do is hit you with a right hook that's going to take you out in terms of God's destiny for your life. And so Paul, or actually Peter says this, dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that, what's the two words, guys? that wage war against your very souls. Like the biggest way to wage war against sin, the biggest way to fight against sin is see yourself as a temporary resident, to see yourself as not home, to see what is what right in front of you that maybe at times is so seductive and seems so powerful that this is temporary. And whatever I am moved to go after, it overpromises and it underdelivers. In fact, I put this in my notes that in order to fight against being seduced by the pool of this world, we must intentionally cultivate our sense of longing for the next one. That this isn't it. That this isn't all that there is. And I'm not going to be baited into what overpromises, and I'm not going to spend a season of my life trying to catch what wasn't worth catching once I caught it. And when you see eternity and you live that way, all of a sudden what seems so powerful that you couldn't say no to gets a lot easier because you realize it's insignificance in view of what is ahead. And then the third thing is you start to take action. When you live on your tiptoes and you lean into the groan, have you ever been on that thing where you're three days from vacation and you get more done in those three days than you did in the previous six months? Anybody know what I'm talking about? 
Like you close seven deals, you close two the whole year leading up to that. You got projects done you've been talking about. For that. Like you are unbelievably productive. Why? Because you, you have this expectation and anticipation. All of a sudden it focuses you in a way that you're not normally focused and you get so much done. Listen, this was Abraham all throughout the Old Testament. Dude did a lot of crazy stuff had wealth, had privilege, had everything you can imagine. There's the story of him packing a duffel bag, even with all that he had been given and stepping out to go, I'm going somewhere. I don't really know where it is, but I know God's called me and I'm just gonna trust him. And the reason he did that is what Hebrews talks about, that when he reached the land of God and the the land that God promised him, he lived there by faith. For he was like a foreigner living in tents. And so did Isaac and Jacob, who inherited the same promise. But verse 10, Abraham was confidently, help me out one more time. Abraham was confidently, one more time, looking forward to a city with eternal foundations, a city designed and built by God. And when you start to see what is beyond just right here, When you start to live on your tiptoes, I'm telling you, it leads you to take action. And this may sound strange, but it leads you to take action, most importantly, around the issues of your pain, because your pain suddenly becomes a microphone. In fact, it's it's what C.S. Lewis said, that, that God speaks to us in our pleasures, but he shouts in our pain. It's his megaphone that rouses a deaf generation. And literally, it's gonna sound weird. You stop being selfish with your suffering. Because what you've walked through is not just about you. Eternity is in view. And and your suffering is your story to lead other people to God's glory. You want to know what God's will is for your life? We way overcomplicate this. Why I don't like to do series around it. God's will is you get to know his love for you and then you love other people and then you go do whatever you feel like doing if you're following Jesus and you're in line with his moral will and you take whatever you've experienced and whatever you've gone through and whatever you face and the darkest nights of your soul and you start to leverage them for people around you to know there is hope and you are not your pain and you are not your mistake and God can see you through this because he saw me through this and I'm gonna take action because I know that what I have been through is not just about me eternity is in view and so I'm going to lead other people through my suffering and my story to understand God's glory and I wouldn't choose this but God is going to use this and I am going to take what he's given me to leverage it for the sake of other people being connected to my Savior and that is God's will for your life today and that's really all you need to know and when you live with eternity of mind on your tiptoes you take action and then the last thing and we're going to be done is you're elevated. The definition of elevation is this, height above sea level. Where you stand on your tiptoes, you get taller and your reach gets extended, right? And here's the thing, as we end, creation is groaning. Creation is not as it should be. Your body is groaning. Your life is groaning, even when it's good, for more, for this isn't how it should be. But, but I love this reality, and, and for some of you, this is what you need to hear, and then we're going to be done in just a second. But God is groaning. And this is what I love in the Scriptures. In fact, 
quote Paul one more time. He says it this way in Romans 8, 26, but the Holy Spirit prays for us with groanings that can't even be expressed in words, that literally God groans. I'll never forget, like, just right after, a week after my brother-in-law passed away, taking his own life, I was talking to my father-in-law, and he was just in a, a place a week after where he was just so tripped up by the fact of, I, I can't even pray right now. He's like, I don't know what to pray. I don't know, I don't know what to say. And immediately that verse popped into my mind. Hey, listen, the Holy Spirit's got you. In those moments where, where he feels absent, where he feels silent, where he feels disconnected, the reality is, that, is this, that God's praying for you. And when you're in that place where you don't even have the words to communicate, you ever been there? You know, God, what should I ask you for? How, how, how should I even pray in this? When you're in that place where you don't even know how to interpret what you feel, or where you're in that place where you don't even know what you need, the Holy Spirit is going, I've got you, and I'm in relationship with the Father and with your Savior, Jesus. And by the way, Jesus knows you serve a suffering Savior who came and went through all of it and experienced all of it. He understands the groan. He subjected himself to the groan. He felt the groan, and he still feels it and still knows it. And so the Holy Spirit's going, when you don't have words, when you don't know what you feel, when you don't know what you need, I'm already talking to your Savior. I'm already in communication with your father to take what you can't communicate it and go, hey, listen, let's start working on their destiny and your will and what you want to do through this because you already have a plan. You're already praying and God has a history of doing what you need before you even knew that you needed it. And in the moment where you can't pray, you don't need to pray. You just need to go, God, I don't, I don't have anything. And the Holy Spirit's going, I'm taking over and we're moving and we're working and we're praying and we will see you through all of this because it's not just creating creation that groans. It's not just you and your body that groans, that God himself groans. And that groaning is the thing that has allowed him to be able to be an empathetic high priest, to walk with you through whatever you are going through and see you to the other side. And I'm telling you, when you understand that, it will lead you to elevate, not you, but elevate him in worship to go, I don't need all of the answers. I don't need all of my questions answered. I don't need to know everything that's happening. I know what you've done in history. I know what you've promised. I'm in between the promise and the fulfillment walking through Saturday, but Sunday is coming. So I'm lifting my voice and I'm lifting my words and I'm lifting my life and I'm lifting my worship to you knowing that I need you. And I don't know, but you know, and you're praying for me and you're seeing me through and I will make it. And there's a day coming where everything is going to be made right. And I'm going to be with Jesus and every bit of this pain and this dysfunction is not even going to be worth comparing to what Jesus is going to do. And I'm telling you, this is the thing that you need to know before you leave. If you forget everything else, that as you lean into the groan and stand on your tiptoes to see what is ahead, it will change your perspective. It will lead you to action. It will give you power over temptation. But here's the only thing you need to leave with, is you need to figure out how to worship with your life even when you don't understand, to elevate yourself above sea level. One of the greatest descriptions I've heard of pain and suffering is it's like waves crashing. And a wave of sorrow crashes and you just get your breath and then there comes another one. And you almost feel like you can't breathe. And it's why David, who was experiencing this when he wrote it, said, when my heart's overwhelmed, 
lead me to the rock that's higher than I am. That, that literally the groaning and the pain is a cue, it's a mechanism to lift your hands and lift your voices and lift your, your life to start recognizing who Jesus is because it's in that moment that you need somebody bigger and greater than you. You don't need cuddly little Jesus. You don't need the Jesus that you can understand. You don't need to understand everything that you're walking through as if you have the mind of God. When you are in a place where you are buckling to the ground and there's no answers, you want a God that's beyond you. And Jesus says, I'm that God. My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I am the Lion of Judah. I am the King of kings. I am the Lord of lords. I am the great I am. Dysfunction hit planet earth and immediately in Genesis 3.15, I went to work to point 2,000 years later to a savior who's going to come and make everything right. And I've got a Genesis 3.15 experience for your life, but you've got to trust me and you've got to lift up your hands to me to know that I am the God that is above you in the midst of your tragedy. I am the alpha and the omega, meaning I began all of this and I'm going to end it the way that I want to end it. And that's going to be with a resurrection that's going to create a resurrected heaven and a resurrected earth and I'm going to come back in a thunderous return and in that moment pain is going to go and injustice is going to go and death is going to go and the groan is going to go and you are going to be home with me so worship me and so would you stand your feet at both locations as we end and would you just be willing, maybe right where you are right now, figuratively, to begin to stand on your tiptoes to go, what you're feeling and what you see right now, it's real, that pain is real, but this is not all there is. And would you begin, rather than to resist it, would you begin to lean into the groan? Literally recognizing that to acknowledge it is to acknowledge God. And when I feel those feelings that this is not all there is, this isn't right. It shouldn't be like this. That literally that groan is acknowledgement that one day I'm going home and everything's gonna be right. And until then I'm gonna feel what I feel, but I'm gonna recognize every day that this is not this is not all there is. I don't know where you're at, but at both campuses, as we put into practice what I just talked about, and we're gonna lift our hands, lift our voices and worship as we end. I don't know what you're going through right now, and I'm not even gonna try to name it, but, but maybe you're just in that place and there's a groan over something and and you just need to take the step to begin to change your perspective and begin to absorb the light that's already right in front of you. And begin to worship and look to the God that's bigger than you and greater than you and the God that you need right now. So just lift your hands at both campuses and locations. I just wanna pray for you, if that's you right now in this moment, and it might be really specific. Jesus, I just pray for every individual right now that's physically in the room, those who are listening in different places through radio or podcast or wherever it might be, I thank you that you have met them where they are. And Lord, I thank you that in the midst of a series where we've dealt with some really difficult things, there is hope beyond what we can imagine. And Lord, I pray right now for the people that 
that are lifting their hands in our locations or maybe they're lifting their hands in a room somewhere as they listen to this and they, they maybe just feel and are experiencing the groan right now in a way that it's just deeper and louder than normal. I pray that you would give them the, the ability to get off their heels and onto their tiptoes to begin to look beyond and over what they're currently experiencing. And I pray the reality of what is ahead would begin to be more real than they've ever experienced before. Lord, I pray for those of us who are walking through difficult times right now that, that there would be a fearlessness and a confidence and an unshakable nature, not because we are resisting what is real, but because we know there's a greater reality and we're living in that right now. And that God, you would calm our souls and you would lift us above the waves that you, you would give us our breath back to be able to walk through what we felt like we haven't been able to walk through. We've just been sinking. And we would just begin to experience your power and your strength in the midst of us. And there's gonna be times where we remember that day or we're caught up in Saturday and the memories are so strong. But I pray there would be equal anticipation and Lord, excitement among people who haven't been excited up until this point to know there is another one day. And on that day, what I'm walking through is not even going to be worth comparing to the weight of glory when I'm with Jesus. So God, do your thing in our hearts and in our lives as a church and as a movement. We are here today not to dishonor you by showing up and playing these ridiculous games. We need Jesus. We need Jesus to change our life. We need our perspective as the church at large to change where we are not so tied and weighted down to this world. And so do what you wanna do in Jesus' incredible name. And we lift our hands right now to worship you. Amen. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this message, would you do us a favor and rate and review our podcast on your favorite podcast catcher? You can actually now listen to us on Google Play, Stitcher, TuneIn, SoundCloud, and Apple Podcasts. Basically, this just helps us get the message of Jesus out to more people. And the other thing I would say is we would love for you to join us at one of our gatherings. One of the things we work really hard at is to create a safe place for people to be able to ask questions, to be able to investigate and grow in their faith if they're longtime followers of Jesus. And one of the things that we say a lot is regardless of what background you're coming from, you can belong here before you believe. And so if you want more information about our church, our location, service times, just go to our website at centerpointfl.org.